Welcome to Living Fullness, a podcast where two unusual friends explore all things friendships, relationships, and the Christian life. My name is Dina Constantine. And I'm Father Sean Burns. And each month, we bring you a guest, someone who will share their experience and strengths with us, helping us to learn, grow, and live life to the full. Hello and welcome back to this month's episode of Living Fullness where we sit down with a guest. We're currently working through a three-part series on truth, beauty and goodness and we have our final guest on the show today. So Padre, would you like to introduce our guest for us? Absolutely. Uh, So we have with us Adam Cooper. Uh, Adam Cooper is a a lecturer at Catholic Theological College in Melbourne. Before that he was a lecturer at the John Paul II Institute and I was fortunate enough to uh, to study under him for a, for a couple of subjects, and um, in particular, virtue ethics and natural law, which will sort of very much, I hope, impinge in some way on the uh, what we're about to discuss. Um, he uh, he lives in Geelong with his wife Lizzie, and uh, he uh, he teaches patristics and theology. Uh, he's got uh, qualifications to teach Greek, church history, moral theology, uh, as well as dogmatics and sacramental theology. Uh, he's published numerous scholarly and popular articles on theology and the fathers with a focus on the theology of the body. He holds a PhD from the University of Durham, sorry, uh, and, and a Doctor of Sacred Theology from the Pontifical John Paul II Institute in Rome. When he's not teaching and writing theology, uh, he enjoys rock climbing, body surfing, uh, tuning Saab engines, and uh, weightlifting and doing nothing, of which I also am a great fan. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, uh, Adam, welcome to the uh, to, to the Living Fullness podcast. Thank you for being here with us today. Yeah, thanks very much, Sean and Stina. It's good to be with you. Great, awesome, awesome. So, um, I guess to sort of start with. Yeah. Um, it would be great to be able to hear a little bit about what sort of led you, Adam, into teaching and into becoming a lecturer. Uh, yeah, well, it's a long story, I suppose. Um, mm. I come from a teaching family. Both my parents were teachers. Uh, I've got a brother who's a teacher, an academic teacher like me um, in Adelaide. And um, so we kind of, there's there's teaching in our blood and blood and family, though Though when I was young, I didn't wasn't like I wanted to become a teacher. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, my my highest ambition when I was a was a boy was to become a doctor, a medical doctor. In fact, I even knew which hospital I wanted to work at. I wanted to work at oh wow um, the Kilimanjaro Christian Medical Center in Tanzania, East Africa was my was my goal. Wow. But um, but I I never made enough points at, in year twelve to get into into medicine and. Kind of, I kind of fluffed around for a little bit in my life at that point, doing a lot of climbing and mountaineering. It was good. I did a lot of traveling and gained a wide range of magnificent experiences in the world. But probably by the time I was sort of 18, 19, 20 or so, um, I, I wanted seriously to devote my life to some kind of service to Christ that would make full use of the gifts that he'd given me. And um, so I started studying theology at that time, part-time, and that led to full-time study. Ended up going to the Lutheran seminary. I was a Lutheran Christian at the time. Oh. And um, 
and eventually was made a Lutheran pastor by the Lutheran Church. So look, uh, thank you for sharing that 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 sort of part of yourself, that history of, of where you've come from and and uh, and how you've wound up where you are at the moment, lecturing in theology and and um, I suppose to go into the 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 main crux of today's topic of that that the last transcendental that we're talking about being goodness. Um, there's a, a a question that probably appears philosophical, but I think has important theological implications, which is, what is goodness? Yeah, well, uh, I, mean, <laughs> yeah, it, I know, I know. Every one of our guests have had the same reaction, yeah. so it's okay. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 what, to hear that question posed like that immediately brings to mind the story in the Gospels when the young man comes to Jesus and asks, you know, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Ask that of Jesus. And and then there's the conversation that, that follows from that. And Jesus, in some ways, he doesn't doesn't answer him immediately, but says, why do you ask me about what is good? <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, oh, here, here's Adam Cooper. I'm not even Jesus Christ, the son of God. And you're asking me about what is good. <laughs> it's kind of, if the Lord can say, why do you ask me about what is good? You know, how much more? <laughs> There's only one who is good. But actually, Jesus' response reveals a lot about, about what we're talking about there because he, he points, the man's asking about a good thing he can do, you know, in relation to a goal. And he wants a kind of a, a nice, clear list. But Jesus points him not to a list or a law, but to a person, to God, as mm. the only one who is good. And, and and so locates goodness entirely in God. And later on, I would, I would argue in that same episode, he locates goodness even, you could say, more concretely in himself. But so so it's, you can't talk in the abstract about good or goodness, at least if, you, if you're taking Jesus' cue, without referring to God. So only God is good. So, you know, what is goodness? Goodness, whatever it is, it, it must be tied up and bound up with God, the true God, the maker of heaven and earth, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and so to talk about goodness in the abstract is is always going to remain a kind of speculative exercise. And and really, I guess I, I kind of feel um, obliged constantly to, particularly in the light of, of, of the New Testament and, and Christian faith, to locate goodness with Jesus Christ and um, and to say, well, whatever we d- want to say about goodness, the good, doing good, becoming good, it's got to be with reference to Christ somehow. He somehow is the, 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 the touchstone of goodness just as he's the touchstone of truth he's the touchstone of beauty he's the touchstone of of the good and all goodness is relative to him and to him and to to what he wants for us and what he is for us yeah i guess yeah yeah that would be a place to start to to say yeah sure sure I, i i very much appreciate the fact that you've you've taken it you've taken the question away from an abstract an abstract point and said well you know instead of instead of linking it up with a law or instead of linking it up with a principle it becomes linked with a person 
And that gives us, I think, by, by linking it with the person of God and the person of Jesus Christ, it gives us a more, um, it actually gives us a measuring, a measuring stick in a certain sense. It gives us something to be able to know, well, you know, uh, um, this is who Jesus Christ was. This is his, his, his goodness manifest on the cross and in the sacraments. Um, uh, where am I in relation to him? Um, sorry. So I, th I think I was saying in relation to truth, like we talk about truth, beauty and goodness. So in trying to relate goodness to truth and beauty, is there something you can say in that space? Yeah, well, the, the, the truth, beauty, goodness triad uh, is, is itself. I mean, it's, it's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful vision, if you like. Um, but it is, it's a bit of a construct. It's something that does, was developed in, in medieval times. And there was a, a great interest throughout um, the development of scholastic teaching and theology to schematize a whole bunch of things in order to help memorize them, help teach them. You know, if you're, if you're a teacher, you want to kind of reduce things to a simple kind of amenable form for people to get hold of, something they can remember or something they can visualize. And truth, beauty, goodness seem to be a kind of very natural, if you like, triad of of these these kind of absolute fundamental, you know, um, values or, or however you might speak of them. And and so so my thinking about those three is is you know historically bound to the way the way medieval theology and subsequent theology has kind of reflected on them. And from what how I understand it. Um, beauty is kind of like a combination of, of truth and goodness. It's kind of like their highest, um, union or fusion as it were. So, so, you know, truth and good, are are these fundamental goals towards which we're inclined, um, as human beings, we want to know the truth and we're not satisfied until we know the truth of things. We want to love and embrace the good. And in some ways, all our actions driven by the sense that what we're doing at least appears as good. Even if we know it's wrong, there is some kind of appearance mm. of goodness in the things that we choose and, and gravitate towards. And then, and, and beauty somehow is a, is a kind of, uh, this, this fusion or, 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 or union of truth and goodness in some, into something that is higher and um, and totally non-instrumental. Um, I remember one one philosopher saying that you can come across a, a field of of flowers. You know, let's let's say you're driving in the countryside and you see a field of flowers, and if you're a if you're a a bee, <laughs> you might think this is good, you know, because here's a field of flowers and there's a lot of pollen here I can, you know, use, use, take back to my hive. So for the bee, it's, it's good. But for the, for the child who just looks upon the field, it's beautiful. You know, it's just, wow, that's beautiful. There's no, there's no instrumentalization of what's here. So goodness can, you know, something that's good can always be, if you like, instrumentalized. Um, and that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. We we rightly instrumentalize things that are good, 
but something that's beautiful is somehow transcends that still. So I don't want to talk more about beauty, but, but I don't know. I'm just trying to relate, relate how these things kind of fit together. Um, hmm. Cause it's sort of the, the way that you expressed that at the beginning of, of the beginning of your answer, that beauty is sort of the, the penultimate expression of the previous two, you know, truth, goodness, and beauty. And it kind of, as, as far as I'm aware from, from what I can remember, I could be wrong on this. The way that it's it's expressed in um, in most medieval theology is is in that in that order: uh, truth, truth, goodness, and beauty, or goodness, truth, and beauty. But anyway, beauty is the last. Uh, and and you know, particularly for say Thomas, perhaps it would be that that um, uh, beauty is 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 not last because of of um, uh, because it's lower than the other two, but it's 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 last because it's the penultimate expression of the other two sort of um, together. Um, just following up from what you were saying then, I guess one of the things that I struggle with when it comes to truth, beauty and goodness, I feel like, and we were talking about this abstractness of it, I feel like truth, I can, I can define what truth looks like and to some extent I can... Um, experience or relate in some way to what beauty looks like but when it comes to goodness it almost feels like it's it's it can't just be about its usefulness like how do I actually wrap my head around what goodness actually means or looks like or feels like for someone to be able to grapple with in trying to understand how they can relate to goodness and how they can experience goodness and how they can bring more goodness into their lives well, I think most of us know when we've experienced goodness and because uh, it feels it feels good and um, I mean, a lot of things feel good that aren't good but but um, yeah. I, again I, I don't think we can explain this except in in, in, a, in personal ways in, or interpersonal ways and relational ways and above all relative to Christ but um, that doesn't mean that you you know, you have to have an explicit relationship with Christ to experience goodness. I think lots of people have experienced goodness in the sense of a kind of um, an, an un, unmerited or unelicited um, kind action from someone that's kind of, and not just a kind, kind action, but a kind action when I really need it. You know, it might, it might be a... Um, a tender word. Um, it might be uh, somebody going above and beyond the call of duty to to do something for you or with you or on your behalf. Um, you see it. You see it in in parishes and communities where there some people are just tremendously good people. They're generous with their time. They um, they don't hold grudges. They they. Um, overlook people's foibles and your, they, they overlook your own foibles. You know, they're tremendously good to you. They're generous. They're generously, generous hearted people, generously spirited people. And, and I, th and I think we can identify with experiences um, of, of action toward us by, by good people. And you know, if, if mm. that's, if you've been raised in a in a household where your experience of your mother and father have been good experiences, you've experienced goodness from them in the sense of 
real care, um, real fairness in, in their treatment of you, real sense of security and safety and support and love for you as a person, no matter what happens to you and no matter what you do. I think it provides a tremendous, um, you know, foundation for you in life. It, it doesn't, they're not teaching you about goodness with with words and, and in abstract formulations, but they're exemplifying goodness to you in the way they love you. And uh, and if mm. you know if that's been absent from the household, you, you know I think for for a child growing up, there's a big void, a big vacuum. And and yeah. but people yeah. people are very hungry for goodness, and unfortunately, then that that can lead them to look for it in the wrong places. But we we uh, we hunger and crave the kindness of others, um, a tender touch, a, a gentle word, a, um, a safe place to to be, you know, to, so we can be ourselves yeah. without feeling judged or condemned. Mm. I think all of that is a kind of experience of goodness without defining it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Uh, and and. So really, goodness is 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 well. Perhaps the the for us the most important place that's found is in the context of relationship. Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. people are, you mm. know, yeah. Uh, w without getting into kind of a deep anthropological conversation, we 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 some we very often will say that is a that is a remarkably good person. He or she is a remarkably yeah. good person. Um, and there's a sense in which we, by saying that, we're saying they, we can rely upon them. It's not just the the, the kind of big, sort of uh, the big action that sort of astounds everybody, mm. but it's a kind of reliable, quiet goodness that's always there. It's kind of like yeah. so, something you can turn to um, and count on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. It'd be, it wouldn't be great if you know we can name such people in our lives and identify them and say, yeah, yeah, here's yeah. an example yeah, of a wonderfully good absolutely. person for me. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Thank you. One of the things that you taught me when I was your student back in 2016, I think it was, was if you want to know the goodness of a man, don't ask what does he do ask what does he like to do and i've i have repeated that <laughs> just about just about every class that i've ever taught somehow that's come out in one way or the other um because i, I think it's it's, it's a brilliant insight it's a, <laughs> it's a really brilliant insight into um into our striving for a virtuous action or striving to be virtuous it, it's it's uh, i think it, it overcomes a lot of problems and it, it, it helps us to see the source of goodness for who he truly is. So could you talk to that a little bit and kind of expound that for us, your, th your thought process behind yeah. that? Yeah, I, I certainly didn't invent it. I probably was quoting it from someone. So um, it, it's not, not a, an original Adam Cooper idea. I mean, no, no, none of them are. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, virtue is, is virtue really means excellence in, in the, in the, in the tradition, in the classical kind of virtue ethics tradition, it means excellence, and or, or virtuosity even is another way of of, of perhaps translating virtus. 
I mean, it kind of literally means strength, but it's a bit hard to make sense of what that means in relation to the virtual sure. tradition. But if you think of it as virtuosity, I mean, when I think of virtuosity, I think of a piano player who's achieved, who's become a virtuoso through a long, long time of formation and practice and immersion in, in his or her art and skill. And so they're tremendously skillful to such an extent that they there's no effort involved in their playing beautifully in their they're playing well they just play beautifully it sort of flows from inside them they know their way around the keyboard perfectly i'm say talk about a pianist um and and we watch someone play like that and we're, we're moved by by the harmony of themselves with their instrument and then the sound that that together they produce and that's virtuosity and that's kind of how virtue works too in that there's a kind of internalization of of the good that transforms a person's character an internal transformation such that there's a there's an entire harmony between themselves and their their interests and their energies and what they want to do and the good that they do so they they do good not because they must they, they do good not because, you know, they're afraid of getting caught if they don't. Um, they're not doing it for some kind of, you know, reward, uh, at least not in the in the sort of uh, in the immediate sense of like a gratification. They're doing it because it just kind of flows out of them. And, and so there's this inner affinity between themselves and the good, and they like doing it. Um. There's, there's a bit of a, a worrying or a concerning trend among some communities of Catholics, particularly, and for, you know, Christians generally, that matter for that matter. I think you know that that um, that virtue is something that I'm I'm just doing out of duty, or it's something you know, I, I, it's it's kind of Kantian in its 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 expression, very sort of um, uh, you know, if if I. If I like it, if I'm enjoying it, then there's something wrong, you know. If if it's uh, uh, and it's it's sort of it has to be hard and it has to be difficult and 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 I mean the the acquisition of of, of virtue is is generally speaking hard and 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 arduous, but that's not the acquisition of virtue is something uh, is 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 not the exercise of the virtue itself, uh, in so far as as you know. One knows when they've they've they they have the virtue by virtue of what because of what you've just sort of um, given to us is you know it's it's it kind of flows out of them you know it's it's uh, uh, so yeah I, just, I think it's it's it 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 really speaks to a, a, an issue that we're finding among some of the the young Christian movements at the moment which is that it's got to be virtue if it's real it's it's, it's got to be hard you know it's 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 got to be something really difficult yeah well. I think, um, I mean, being a Christian can be very, very hard. Uh, faithfulness yeah. to Christ, following him, forgiving one's, one's brethren, you know, 70 times, seven times, um, hanging in there in season, out of season, not giving up, fighting the good fight, so to speak, can be tremendously mm. hard. And there's a lot of opposition to being a faithful Christian. And, and, so 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 being a christian can be difficult but but the difficulty is kind of subsumed within 
a, a deeper love in which all difficulties are somehow made bearable and and easy yeah. jesus says come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden i will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light the the burden christ lays on our shoulders is on the one hand unbearable <laughs> um because it's a it's a call to follow him and yeah. to die to self and to take up that cross every day it's unbearable and yet it's entirely light because firstly he's borne the greatest burden which we can never bear alone the burden of our sin and our yeah. guilt before god and and then the, the burden that that we bear the light burden comparatively that we must bear in our journey as christians is a burden that's subsumed within love love and love makes things light you know he's not heavy yeah. he's my brother yet it goes the, goes the, <laughs> yeah. the song yeah what? but he you know surely it must be heavy to carry him no because i love him he's my brother it's not hard to carry him and so often you know people want to care for their elderly parents sons and daughters want to care for their elderly parents and the elderly parents say no no we don't want to be a burden to you we don't want to cause you mm. trouble but mum, dad, it's no trouble. I love you. You know, I, I, it's no yeah. not a big sacrifice for me to do this. Yeah. You know, we don't want to cause other people trouble, but when they love you, it's no trouble. Yeah. So, so yeah. love really is, is that which makes doing good, um, easier, you know, yeah. and, and it makes being a Christian easier too. And so it's, yeah. if you like, it's relative to our love that that yeah doing the good yeah. is either hard or or easy um yeah jesus yeah. speaks of the woman who you know anointed his feet well she, she's loved much because she's forgiven much she's done a beautifully good thing that's because she loves much and why does she love much because she's she's been forgiven much you know mm. she she knows the weight and the agony and tragedy of sin she's suffered that she's experienced the the liberation and freedom of having her sins forgiven before god so she can stand before god unashamed and and so she loves much and so doing mm. great good things extravagantly good things comes easy to her because yeah. it flows out of love yeah 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 beautiful Thank you. It's an um, it's an interesting attitude, though, that sometimes we can take on in relation to what you were saying, the question you were asking, Padre, about this this attitude of it needing that we need to experience the the depth and hardship of suffering in order for something to be good, in order for it to be virtuous, and yet, as you were saying, Adam, with that like for me that attitude then completely forgets the love and mercy of god that we've actually been offered and asked to take up so yeah yeah i mean i i certainly there is this kantian thing that says you know that the good consists in doing one's duty and and it kind of almost needs to run against the fundamental inclinations of our nature i mean we have to keep in mind too that our, our nature has been affected by sin and we we carry concupiscence 
with us in our lives, which which arises from sin and, and propels and leads towards sin. And, and that's a struggle that we carry to our grave. And so, so we should never think that, that, um, that we're in a kind of safe and happy place, you know, oh, finally I've mm. acquired a virtuous disposition towards this or that. And, or, you know, I really feel like a good person. I mean, it's a really dangerous place to be. Mm. Um, and I guess if, if our focus is in the right place, then, then some of that will, those issues will fade into the background. If, if our focus is upon myself and have I achieved the right level of goodness or virtue, I think we, we set ourselves up for a fall. Our eyes mm. should be fixed firmly on Christ. Um, yeah. and, and his, uh, his salvation that he's won for us, uh, the life that he mm. lives for us, um, the gifts that he pours out upon us richly and wants to pour out upon us more richly than we, than we know. Um, and, um, and the power of his word and his teaching that, that, um, it's effectiveness. And I think with our, with our eyes set on the word of God and on Christ, then, then this preoccupation with, with my personal level of virtue kind of becomes a non-issue. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't, it, it, it doesn't become an obsessive preoccupation. And so I don't rise mm. and fall with, with how virtuous I am. I rise and fall with how well my eyes are fixed on Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you've, you've actually identified then two extremes for us. Um, either the extreme of, of, of leaving love out of the equation um, or alter, well, actually both extremes leave love out of the equation in a way. It's kind of their commonality. Uh, but to either focus excessively on, on, on one's duty, sort of becoming virtuous on one's, on, on one's own, making it, uh, you know, making it myself as it were, uh, or alternatively, um, becoming, uh, sort of becoming focused on, on achieving this particular level of virtue, uh, and thinking that one is safe because of, of, of some kind of, of, of acquired virtue, which seems pres rather presumptive in a way. Yeah. Uh, so th those, th yeah, those, those two extremes to be avoided of, of, you know, presumption or, or or mere duty yeah yeah i guess i guess i think that's i think that's a, a fair assessment of 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 you know what we've said so far I, I i would always be concerned to avoid encouraging people to to think about um you know today i want to be good or today i want to you know to to think about some kind of virtue and focus on it too much I think we need to just attend to to the you know the the basic realities of our of our respective vocations. I mean, I'm a teacher here. I should be diligent with my time. I should be honest in my dealings with my college, with my students, um, fair and just in the way I I treat them. Those are all actually good things, and they might sound fairly mundane. Oh yeah, isn't that all to be taken for granted? But, but attending to them is, 
my Christian duty and my obligation also as a as a as a teacher and a professor. So, um, and in doing so, I become a good person. I mean, I, I become good in those areas. Um, I become virtuous, you might say, in those areas, without focusing on virtue and without focusing on goodness. One can build virtue and build goodness simply by attending to the tasks of our station in life as sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, mm. priests, teachers, you know, whoever we are, and um, attend to the, those fundamentals in faith and, and um, with a good will as much as possible. And when you trip up, admit it, confess it, get back on the horse and away you go, <laughs> you know, it's, it's mm. kind of, you know, it's just trying not to make rocket science out of out of virtues, just keeping it simple. Okay. Having said that, I mean, I was I was thinking about. So, yeah, I was thinking in preparation for, for today about um, um, some stuff I've been reading recently on, on Dostoevsky, the Russian author, and um, in some ways he his attitude towards the transcendentals was was somewhat almost scandalous in the sense that he he certainly he, I mean he, he in his in his novels he portrays many good characters deeply good characters but they're often their acts of goodness are hidden under a life that's a real mess so their lives are messed up they're messed up people they're in messed up relationships they're in messed up situations they've been sinned against they've sinned the and and yet those are some of his if you like greatest heroes who who achieve who who if, who, if you like spread goodness in the world um just through a kind of holy naivety through an abundance of love that's un, almost uncalled for uh, through a through a naive holy trust and so so there's this other side of the coin where goodness is is manifested in the world under in in a hidden way in a veiled way not obviously you know so so sometimes we, th you know, we think, oh, to be good, I have to kind of look like this. And we're thinking in terms of a, a sort of external appearance or what others will deem as good. Very often that will lead us to the greatest hypocrisy or self-conceit. Um, very often goodness is hidden uh, and hidden under tragic or dark circumstances. Um, there is a lot of goodness in prisons and yet prisons are a terrible terrible world mm. um, there's a lot of goodness amongst the the drug affected homeless in big cities and yet that's a terrible world so these are these are kind of tragic worlds sub worlds um, and yet they're often infused with acts of extraordinary kindness and goodness so we, we shouldn't we shouldn't try and we shouldn't limit our vision of goodness to a kind of pearly edged you know sort of super clean type of image 
And Christ says, I've, you know, come to call the sick, not mm. the healthy. And, and so, and he, and he eats and drinks with the sinners. That's where Christ yeah. is to be found. And very often that's where goodness is to be found. Not that we should emulate sinners or, no, or, or no. pursue sin or justify sin, but, but very often goodness, Christ is found where we least expect him to be. Goodness mm. is often veiled under, under tremendous darkness and, you you kind of think how can any good come out of this you know how often do we say that of a situation mm. we've seen witnessed or been in ourselves and very often goodness does come out of that in one way or another sometimes only just but that's the surprise is goodness is often found where you don't expect it to be mm. man though mortally wounded is essentially good yeah, yeah, essentially in the sense that that's the, he's a creature of God and yeah. um, and comes from the hand of God. And you, mm. you have to hope in that. Right? You have to hope that, um, that that will prevail. Yeah, yep. All right. Look, we're, we're, we're uh, I'm just looking at our time. We're, we're up to about 45 minutes. So, so. We should probably bring the the, the interview to a uh, to an end, um, but before we do, we have a little um, uh, we have a little um, lightning round, uh, which is kind of like a little fun round that we just the first thing that pops into your mind, just answer it. Um, and uh, so, uh, Stina, uh, you start off. Sure. The first question we always ask is tea or coffee, Adam. Oh, right now, a cup of coffee would be great. Uh, what was the last song you listened to oh it would have been at uh, church yesterday glory and praise to our god who alone gives light to our days many other blessings he bears to those who trust in his ways yes lovely if you could travel back in time what time period would you go to and why oh i would i would I'd probably go to the to the 1970s, which isn't that far away, uh, just because it was a great time for mountaineering. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. It was before before the commercialization of mountaineering. Uh, right. Okay. That's before the commercialization cool. of mountaineering. So there were some great ranges you could visit in the world, uh, and they were still uh, kind of pristine um, before they got real. Yeah. Right sure. Commercialization. Sure. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite quote from a theologian? Um, yeah, uh, Luther, where we are beggars, that's the truth. Hmm. And um, he means he means that not in, in a pessimistic sense, but in the sense that hmm. everything that we have comes to us as a gift from God, and we can't do without his grace. Yeah. yeah. Who is your favorite saint? Oh, I'd have to be Maximus the Confessor, who's uh, who's a theologian I've studied for ages. Um, he's he's sometimes uh, uh, irritating, but um, yeah, he's he's a great <laughs> mind, and I uh, I love him, yeah. love him dearly. Awesome. Uh, and finally, what is one unexpected lesson you've learned from your wife and/or kids? 
Oh, unexpected lesson um, from my from my kids. Well, from my from my son Ben probably would be the be the one that. Uh, it, it, I have to tell a short story. I, I I can't can't tell it without a story. The story is that <laughs> I used to drag him up mountains since he was since he was a kid, since he was very small, and we were we were in the, the Lake District in winter, and the the mist was down, and we were barely a third of the way up a mountain I said come on Ben come on we've got still got a long way to go to the top and he was dragging his feet and he said dad I'm not like you I don't like going to the top of the mountains I just like seeing them from the valleys so so the the lesson was I'm not like you dad and I had to realize that then okay nice nice that's a good lesson yeah yeah all right. Well, uh, Adam, thank you for joining us today, and uh, thank you for the, the the time that you've taken. It's uh, it's been really awesome to sit down and speak with you about about goodness and about virtue, uh, the pursuit of virtue. And um, and uh, please um, uh, know of our, our prayers for your continued ministry as a as a teacher and a father, and uh, and also for uh, uh, for your um, uh, your work as a. a, a man of God in, in, in your parish community. So please um, know of our prayers and please pray for us too. Yeah, thanks very much, Father. Thank you, Stina. Good to be with you. Absolutely, absolutely. And thank you to everyone who's joined us either via your usual podcasting stream or online to watch this interview. Thank you for your love and support. Jump over to our Patreon if you'd like to see a behind-the-scenes conversation that we're about to have with Adam Cooper as well. But as always, we will catch you next time. Until then, know of our love and prayers. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Living Fullness. We hope that in this episode there was something useful or helpful or something that blessed your life. If that is the case, would you please consider sharing this podcast with someone? Perhaps it will bless their lives too. Please also subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review so that others can find the podcast too. And join us over on our social media, Living Fullness on Instagram and Virtue Ministry on Facebook.